bless you. You may be seated. As you're seated this morning, if you'll grab your Bible or something with your Bible on it and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, you can also open up the YouVersion Bible app and follow along with the points in the scriptures as we go today. Uh, today is day 7 of our 40 days in the Word called Fierce 40. And uh, if you're not involved and engaged with Fierce 40, our ushers are coming at this time. Just lift your hand if you've missed getting one of these cards. we got plenty of them, and we want to make sure everybody gets one of these. It's not too late to jump in. Uh, you can find this plan on the app and on our website as well. And so uh, it's already been a great week of reading through uh, Psalms and Proverbs and the first 14 chapters of uh, the book of First Samuel. As we're doing that, I want to make a couple of announcements about a couple of things that are very important in the life of our church. Uh, the first of those is that two weeks from today, we're going to be having a special guest, author and speaker, Jonathan McKee, is going to be with us. Jonathan is going to be doing a parenting seminar on a Sunday night called Parenting the Digital and Social Generation. And uh, if you're a parent or a grandparent who's raising kids, if you've got teenagers or you've got children, one of the biggest challenges that we have today as parents is, is trying to figure out how we can help our kids uh, deal with, uh, with media and deal with social media and deal with phones. It's the world we live in and computers. And uh, Jonathan specializes in this. He's written some books about this. And we've brought him here all the way from California to, uh, to speak to us and to, uh, to help you as parents. And so I want to encourage all the parents in the house, okay? If you've got kids from preschool through high school, you need to be in that seminar at 5 o'clock on that Sunday afternoon. This isn't just for parents with teens because if you've got children, they're going to be teens real fast, right? And you're already dealing with some of these things. And so this is just something that we want to equip you with. And we need you to register online because we're going to have a, a, a light meal at 5 o'clock. And then we're going to come in here together at 6. There won't be preaching or worship or anything like that. It's just going to be a, a seminar where we're going to equip you with, uh, with things that we believe are going to help you to be a better parent. And, uh, and that's something that we want to do. Uh, the next thing I want to mention is what's going to happen around here tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to throw back. Tonight, we're going to throw back. And I can't believe it's 20 years plus. But we're going to throw back tonight at 6 o'clock with a 2000s throwback night of worship. And we got in here yesterday and practiced. And, man, we just had a good time singing some of these songs that are, that are part of our history. And uh, so be here at 6 tonight. It's going to be real good. We're going to have a great time tonight just worshiping the Lord. And you're going to leave encouraged. So here we go, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects but if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed 
and terrified. Father, we pray you will add your blessing and your anointing to the preached word. May it fall on good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. David versus Goliath, I suppose the only story in all of Scripture that's more well-known would be the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the first story we learn when we go to Sunday school. It illustrates the covers of children's books and Bibles. It's used as a metaphor in sports and in business and in entertainment and in politics So why does this story resonate so much with us? And it doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious. People talk about the story of David and Goliath. I think it's because of two simple reasons. Because of bullies and underdogs. In our culture, we hate bullies and we love underdogs. And that story represents everything that we know and think about it when it comes to bullies and underdogs. Here's the thing. Everybody in the room has encountered a bully, right? Either on the classroom or on the playground or in the lunchroom. And even as adults, there are still bullies in businesses and offices and boardrooms, right? If you've never encountered a bully, look in the mirror That means you're the bully. I got to thinking about the most famous bullies of movies and television, and I came up with this list right here. Let's see if any of you guys recognize these bullies, okay? And and we've got them that'll fit all ages. Anybody know top left who that is? It's probably going to come from this back corner of wisdom. Who is it? That's the little rascal's bully. His name was Butch. Then I've got to give a shout out to my favorite TV show of all time, Andy Griffith. One of the best episodes ever when Andy tells uh, Opie how to stand up to this bully Shelton. And then you've got this guy from what? Christmas Story, Scott Farkas. Anybody recognize those guys in the bottom left-hand corner? The outsiders, the socias, the, the, the enemy of the greasers. And here we've got Johnny, right? Johnny before Cobra Kai, way back in the day, Johnny. And then this guy, Back to the Future. And for everybody from the 2000s, I had to throw Regina in there for Mean Girls. Bullies. We resonate with bullies. And the story of David and Goliath resonates with us because Goliath is the quintessential bully, right? But then there is the ultimate underdog, and that is David. And we love an underdog story. It's funny to talk to people who really don't even follow sports. They'll say, if I watch sports, I just like to pull for whoever is the underdog. And so I got to thinking about some of the biggest sports underdog moments in history. You've got 1980 when the United States defeated the Soviets in the miracle on ice with Olympic hockey. You've got my personal most favorite Uh, David and Goliath moment, the moment that I lived as a fifth grader growing up in eastern North Carolina as an NC State fan when the NC State Wolfpack beat the Houston Cougars for the national championship. 
And, uh, and we were so crazy with the fact. Now, I know you don't know anything about basketball here in South Georgia. But in North Carolina, it's all about basketball. And we were so crazy with the fact that that state beat Houston. No lie. My mom and I got up the next morning and we toilet papered our own yard. <laughs> we did. We did. Then we fast forward to 1990. Check this out. A 42 to 1 shot. Anybody remember when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson? In 2007, the New England, New England Patriots, undefeated, come into Super Bowl 42, and it's the helmet catch that we never forget that when the Giants beat the Patriots, and everybody said, hallelujah. And then 2007, that same year, a D2 Appalachian State football team walks into Ann Arbor, Michigan, and defeats the number five team in the nation. And then my favorite of all time, David and Goliath moment, 1979, the night that Rocky Boa, Balboa knocked out Apollo Creed. That's my favorite moment of all time. And that's the one you guys cheer about the most. Why? Because we love Rocky. Why? Because Rocky is the ultimate underdog and Apollo Creed represents the ultimate bully. And, and when it comes to boxing, one of the things that they do when they have a matchup is, is what's called the tail of the tape. And you'll see behind me one of the most uh, popular tells of the tape ever between uh, Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston from way back in the day. But I got to thinking about if we measured up David and Goliath, what would be the tell of the tape? It might look like this. On one side, you've got Goliath. He's described in Scripture as a champion warrior. He's over nine feet tall by the time we do the math from their math to ours. He had a bronze helmet, bronze greaves, which is what covers your shins, and a bronze javelin. He wore a coat of armor that weighed as much as some of you do, 125 pounds. He had a spear with a tip that was 15 pounds in weight. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Why would he even need that, by the way? But his shield bearer went ahead of him with a shield the size of a normal man. And on the day that we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's day 41 of the battle. And he's coming out again for his 41st time to defy the armies of Israel. On the other side, we have David. He's a teenage shepherd. And this is what he has in his arsenal, the scripture says. A shepherd's staff, five smooth stones, a shepherd's bag to put those stones in, and a sling. And in his rearview mirror is Saul's armor sitting in Saul's tent that he refused to put on. And for David, it's only day one of his battle. It's on this day that David, the shadow king, walks onto this battlefield literally in the shadow of his opponent, Goliath. So today, as we get to week two on the series of the life of David, the shadow king, we're going to talk about the shadow of opposition. Now, as I've read and reread and reread this story this week, everything that I'm seeing about the story of David and Goliath comes down to one word, and that word is perspective. Perspective is defined as a mental view, a particular way of considering something. And when you read this story, you find three distinct perspectives. You find Goliath's perspective. You find the perspective of Saul and the Israelites. And you find the perspective of David. And what we're going to learn today is simply this. Your perspective determines your position. Let's say that together this morning. Your perspective determines your position. So let's look at Goliath's perspective, first of all. Goliath's perspective is simple. His perspective is one of arrogance. Let's see how that plays out. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8, he says, 
why do you come up and uh, why do you come out and line up for battle? Now, it's, it's, you got to remember, and I don't even think we've read it yet, but we're going to look at it. But just so you know, this is day 41 of this battle. So he looks at everybody on the battlefield and he says, why are you even showing up? We've been doing this now for over a month. Nobody will come and face me. And listen at his arrogance as he goes on to say, Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? He has no respect for Saul. He may not have even met Saul. Saul's in the tent somewhere with his knees knocking. And then he says, Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. If I ever come him and kill him, we'll be your subjects. And then he makes this statement that he's made for 41 days, y'all. This day, as I've done for the previous 40, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Please let somebody come out here because I need to fight somebody. Well, fast forward into the story. David shows up. He has just heard this arrogant perspective of Goliath. The scripture says in 1 Samuel 17, 23, that he shouted his usual defiance, day 41. And so, you know how the story goes, and we'll look at it more specifically in a moment, but, but we're looking at what Goliath says in the story. And David goes through the process. We're going to fast forward to the middle of the story where he's standing in front of Goliath, and he's getting ready to face him and listen at Goliath's arrogance. He looked over and saw that David was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Your perspective determines your position. Goliath's perspective, Saul and Israel are cowards. They have no one to send to fight me. And so Goliath's formidable, opposing position of defiance was based on his perspective of Israel. He looked at them and he saw they were a bunch of cowards and a bunch of losers and they were not going to come out. So his position of arrogance makes sense. Then you've got the position and the perspective of Saul and the Israelites. And Saul and Israel's perspective was avoidance. Consider this, the second most popular story in the Bible is not called the story of Saul and Goliath. It's not called the story of the Israelites and Goliath for a reason. Because both Saul and Israel did everything in their power to avoid facing Goliath. Look at verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, okay, now this is interesting because we don't even know that they've even seen Goliath fight. So all they've done is heard his words and seen his presence. On hearing the Philistines' words, day 41, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And then verse 16 tells us, 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning, and some translations say every morning and every evening, and took his stand. And the longer this went the more dismayed and fearful and terrified they became. After 41 days of this, they are running for their lives. Why? Your perspective determines your position. They were impressed by his size and experience. They were shaken by his posture and intimidating presence. They were rattled by his booming voice. And shouts of defiance. Israel's perspective was simply this. Goliath is invincible. Goliath is unbeatable. We don't stand a chance. And as a result, they ran. They hid. And listen at this. They offer wealth, a wife, and a tax-free life for anybody who will defeat him. Wealth, a wife, and a tax-free life. That sounds like one of those commercials for those lawyers from Savannah. I need to call one of those cats and, and say, hey, I got a new jingle for you. Wealth, a wife, and a tax-free life. 
So my question to you this morning is, think about this. This is the nation of Israel. These are God's people, right? Y'all still with me? How did they get to this point? I mean, how could a nation that had conquered the promised land with the theme strong and courageous, remember that, suddenly become so weak and terrified? The answer comes from 21st century author John Maxwell, who says this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Are you hearing me, 9 o'clock? As the leader goes, so goes the nation. See, the second most popular story in your Bible should have been the story of Saul and Goliath. Because we learned last week that Saul was chosen by God to be the first king of Israel. Why? Because he was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the land. So that meant that he was the only one physically who could have matched up with Goliath. So he should have been out front. But we learned last week that because of his impatience and his defiance and his narcissism, God had removed the kingdom from him. Now Saul was a lame duck king. I don't know that the people knew it, but Saul knew it. Saul avoided the battle because the Spirit of God had left him. And as a result, Saul was a coward because he was not walking with God. Did you hear your pastor? Your perspective determines your position. And his perspective determined his position and his mindset. He ran, so Israel ran. He hid, so Israel hid. He threw it out there that you can have a wife and be tax-free and all all these prizes. And so did Israel. Saul and Israel's perspective was Avoidance, And here's what they thought for 41 days at this point. Maybe if we ignore him, he'll go away. Maybe if we'll hide, he'll go fight with somebody else. Even, catch this, even the volunteerism of an unknown teenage shepherd didn't motivate Saul or his brothers to step up. You would think Eliab, his arrogant older brother, who talks down to David, would have said, I'm not going to allow you to upstage me. But Saul nor any of the Israelite army were willing to step up. How pathetic was Saul that he allowed this little teenage shepherd to go fight Goliath. You would think his pride would at least say, Well, if you're going, I'm going with you. But he says, here's all my army, here's all my armor, good luck, and tries to be spiritual and says, may God be with you, because he sure isn't with me. Your perspective determines your position, and they had avoided their enemy, catch this, Because they had forgotten their God. They had forgotten who they were because they had forgotten whose they were. If they would have understood who their God was, they would have had a completely different perspective. But their leader was not in touch with God, so the entire nation was disconnected with God. Are you getting this this morning? How many of you have ever faced any giants in your life? Let's put a name to them. Fear, anxiety, loss. Anybody been fired? Anybody been let go? Anybody got children away from God? Anybody faced addiction or bankruptcy or cancer or uncertainty or death? Should I keep going? I think we've all faced giants in our life. And listen to me, 9 o'clock. Just like Saul and Israel, if we ignore our giants, they don't go away. The more we ignore them, actually what happens is we become more paralyzed and more hopeless. 
And the giant comes out every day and he speaks and he screams and he defies our God. And when we ignore him, we just go back and we hide. And if we don't stand up to them, they're just going to keep coming out every single day and saying the same thing. You know why? Because giants are bullies. And yes, some of these things that I just named, it's just part of life. It's not that the devil's on your back. It's just part of the fact that we live in a broken world, right? But sometimes the devil is breathing down your neck. Or he's got one of the third of the angels that fell with him who's on your rear end as well. And we need to understand when those moments come that we can't just keep allowing the enemy to kick us in the teeth. We've got to respond to the bully. How many of you, you really, and I know i got a few nods, how many of you really had a bully uh, in, in, in elementary school? I had a bully, and I'll change his name, to protect the innocent, or the guilty, actually. His name was, was Barry, is what I'll call him. And uh, here's the funny thing about my bully. I had, another, I had a few bullies, because I was, I was short and skinny as a kid. I'm now I'm short and chubby as a man. But I was short and skinny as a kid. And so this bully, actually, he was, we were the same size. But he had a lot more mouth than I did. Kind of like Goliath. He had a lot of mouth. And from second through sixth grade, he was always mouthing off at me. Playground, lunchroom, if we had a class, if we were in the same class. And he's the kind of kid who'd push you off the off the sliding board or the swing set or just bully, just constantly bullying. This was Barry. And y'all, I don't know what came over me in the sixth grade. But one day we were in PE class and we were playing basketball. It was open gym and we had both sides of the gym. And, and I'm, I'm at midcourt and I had, been, I had been shooting and I came back to get a ball and a ball came my way. And the ball that came on my side of the court was Barry's ball. And I, and I grabbed that ball, and I just, I just chunked. I did the mad bomber, y'all know, from half court. You know, I, I chunked, the, chunked one. And as I chunked Barry's ball, he came by me to run get his ball, and he balled up his fist, and he punched me in the back as hard as he could and took off running. And something came over me, y'all. I believe it was the spirit of David. <laughs> I admit that. It was the spirit of Les, or maybe my dad, Roy, who had been telling me for years, don't let yourself be pushed around. And when he came back down the court with that ball, I got in his face. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I can just tell you I won. I got on top of him. And as Opie would say to, to his dad, I lit into him like a windmill into a tornado. And we both wound up on the bench at the principal's office. But can I tell you something? Barry never bullied me again. And we graduated together seven years later. See, sometimes you got to stand up to your bully. Because if you don't, he's going to keep coming after you. And he's going to keep trying to punch you in the back. Amen? So we've seen two perspectives this morning. We've got Goliath's perspective of arrogance. And we've got... Saul and, and Israel's perspective of avoidance. So here we go. Enter the underdog. USA versus Russia. Georgia versus Alabama. Rocky versus Apollo Creed. What's the name of the story? David versus Goliath. So one day, a young, songwriting, guitar-playing, sheep-keeping, future king of Israel, a teenager named David, is sent with a DoorDash order of grain and cheese and bread to go to the front lines. And Scripture says that David left that order with the supply keeper and headed straight to the front lines to talk to his brothers. And it was that moment that David's life would forever be changed. What day is it? Day what? You got it. It's day 41, and Goliath is back. And right at the time that David reaches the, the, the border, the, the, the edge of the, of the battlefield, 
He hears Goliath's normal defiance, his obscenities, and his offenses against the armies of Israel. And for David, it's like it should be for us when someone takes the Lord's name in vain or starts talking about our church or starts talking about the word of God, or starts saying something offensive about the cross, it gets our attention. And we're like, whoa, 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 you can't talk like that around me. Are you with me, church? David says, whoa, 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 you can't talk like that about my God. And he starts looking around and saying, what's the deal with this guy? David asked the, man, the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking to the men, look at this, he burned with anger at him. Now remember Eliab, he's the one who we thought last week in the story was going to become king. He was the one who stood before Samuel. The oil was in the air. It was about to be poured over his head. And God tapped on Samuel's shoulder and said, no, 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 not him. And Eliab and all of his brothers stood by and watched the shepherd boy come out and have oil poured all over him to be anointed as the next king. So Eliab already has some animosity toward David. And he looks at him and he says, Why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's like, You're not even capable to have a, a full uh, flock of sheep. Dad just gave you a few. He said, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've come down only to watch the battle. Anybody remember one of the qualities we talked about last week of, Saint, of, of, uh, of David? Humility. He wasn't conceited. He wasn't arrogant. And David's the younger brother. All the younger brothers and sisters have said this. What have I done? <laughs> right? Can I even speak? Then he turned away and he found somebody else who would talk to him. And he brought up the same manner. And the men answered as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. So y'all get this picture. For the first time in 41 days, somebody's not just talking about and asking, what's that reward? They're, they're getting clarity on the reward. They're asking several people, what's that reward again? And David's going around. He's just, just can I be clear what's the reward and what's the deal with this guy? And, and now we've got a rumble all throughout Israel that somebody's asking. Finally, somebody's asking about what's going on. Are you with me? And so Saul hears and he says, bring whoever that is to me. And David walks in. And he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So we know Saul sends him out. And then David walks out. And what does he say to Goliath? Listen to his perspective. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. You're bigger. You're more armed than I am. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this day, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give your carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give 
all of you. Let's get, listen to that. I'm not just going to cut your head off, pal. God's going to give. Mm, God's going to give it all to us. Someone said this. Perspective can cause two people to look at the same thing and see two totally different things. While every other soldier in Israel's army sees only the size of the giant, David sees the size of the God of Israel. Your perspective determines your position. Let me illustrate this for you. There's a, an activity that we do in our premarital counseling here. And some of you who have been through that with me, you'll, you'll remember this. Look at this, this word. Now, don't say anything out loud. But when you look at that, just immediately say, think, what do I see? Okay. Now, some of you saw this. Love is now here. How many of you saw love is now here? Okay. Those are all the positive people in the, world, in the room. How many of you saw this one? Love is nowhere. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad y'all are in church today. Those are the pessimists. And then you've always got a few freaks in the room that saw this. Love, I snow here. Let's go back to our definition of perspective. Perspective is a mental view, a particular way of considering something. And we all saw that differently based on our perspective, right? Okay? So, so far we've seen Saul's perspective of arrogance. I'm sorry, Goliath's perspective of arrogance. Saul and David's perspective of, Saul and Israel's perspective of avoidance. And David's perspective of assurance, of confidence. And so as I've read this story and thought about it over the last week, here's the question I keep asking. And this is the question I want to answer to finish up today, and that's this. How was David able to face Goliath with, with such confidence? Where did it come from? I think that's the question as, as believers that we need to come to this story with and say, I get it. I see Saul's uh, avoidance. I see Goliath's arrogance. The confidence and assurance of David is clear. But how did he get there? How did he create? What happened to form that type of perspective? Because your perspective determines your position. And everybody else's position in this story that's on God's side is hanging out in the tent in fear. David's position has put him not just now on the front lines. He's now down in the valley of Elah about to face Goliath. So what was David's perspective based on? Watch this. It was based on three things. How he saw his enemy, how he remembered his past, and how he knew his God. Are y'all ready for this? Mm, I can't wait to give it to you. First of all, David's perspective was based on how he saw his enemy. Now notice how David identifies Goliath. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's a pretty major statement to call, to call Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. That's Christian cussing, by the way. Now notice, he doesn't mention Goliath's size. He's seeing him for the first time. He doesn't mention his height. He doesn't refer to his armor. He doesn't talk about his reputation or his status as a champion. He identifies him with a specific description. He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. So to understand the significance of that, we have to understand the significance of circumcision. 
And we find that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 11, when God Almighty, El Shaddai, makes a covenant with Abraham. And the sign of his covenant with Abraham was this marker, this physical marker of circumcision. And this would be done for all males who were Israelites from here on out. It was marking them as God's chosen people, as his special treasure. It was marking them and it would serve as a reminder that we are sons of Abraham. That Abraham would be the father of many generations. And here's David, a son of Abraham. And that God would be a faithful, personable God. So when David identifies Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine, he's looking at him and he's saying, you're not under the covenant, bro. All of us are under a covenant. We've made an agreement with God. We are physically marked as men. And God has made a promise to us through our father Abraham. And it's been passed down after generation after generation. And we're in the promised land. It doesn't look too good right now. But we're in the promised land that God has given to us. And you are not under the covenant. You are an uncircumcised Philistine away from God. And if you're not on our side, if you're not for us, then you must be against us. You're not a son of the promise. David saw his enemy in a way that nobody else in Israel saw him. So the next time your giant walks out to face you and to talk down to you and remind you of all the stuff that's going on in your mind and in your heart and in your life. You need to square up your shoulders like David did and remind your enemy that he is defeated before the battle has already been fought. Because of the life and the death of the resurrection. Oh, come on, somebody. We're living on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb. We have something inside of us that David didn't have. And that means we can stand in that authority that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and me and empowers us to stand before our giants and fight our giants. Because how we see our giants will determine our position. David saw his enemy. The second thing David did, his perspective was based on not only how he saw his enemy, but how he remembered his past. David sees Goliath. He identifies him as his enemy. He's brought to Saul. He looks at Saul and he says, I got this, bro. I know how to handle this. I've been, I've been living out there, and, and bro said there's just been a few sheep, but no, there's been a lot more sheep than that, so much so that there have been lions and bears who came out, and God gave me the power to grab them by the nap of the neck and to sling them around and break their necks and bust their chops, and I've punched them in the mouth, and I've defeated a lion and a bear, and this is no problem for my great and awesome God. The same God who allowed me and gave me the power to defeat the lion and the bear is the same God who's going to give me the power and the anointing and the authority to go and face that giant who's been screaming down the armies of God for the last 41 days. <laughs> David's perspective was based on remembering his past. And look at verse 37. He says, the Lord, the capital L O. R.D., who rescued me from the paw of the lion. And the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David uses the name Yahweh, the personal covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's not just standing here on the authority of having defeated some bears and some lions, he's standing here on decades and centuries of red seas that have been crossed and other giants that have been defeated, amen? So often when we face our own giants, we forget 
what we ought to remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. We remember our defeats, and we forget our victories. Most of us can recite the failures of our lives in vivid detail, but we're hard-pressed to name the specific remarkable victories God has pulled off in our past. That's from Charles Swindoll. So often, we face the next Goliath, and all we can do is see that Goliath, and we fail to remember how many times in our past God has showed up. Anybody else guilty of this? But I like what we say around here when it comes to giving. We'll say this. If he's good enough to forgive me, he's good enough to provide for me. We say that around here when it comes to giving and trusting God with the first 10%. So let's say it like this. If he's good enough to forgive me, he's powerful enough to deliver me. He's powerful enough to protect me. He's powerful enough to heal me. And the same Lord, the same Yahweh who rescued you from addiction and from debt and from sin is the same omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who will help you fight your current battle. Now watch this. And it might be that the battle you're facing right now, the lion or the bear that you're staring down right now is one that God wants to put in your trophy case so that when the next bigger bear and the bigger lion and the bigger Goliath shows up, you can look back at what God's done in the past and say, if he did it before, he can do it again. Amen. Somebody give God praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You guys give me some background music. David's perspective was based on how he saw his enemy. How he remembered his past. And oh, this one. How he knew his God. Mm. David had no boot camp. He had no military drills. He had no special forces training. He only had time alone with the sheep and the great shepherd. The shadow king had been getting plenty of training under the wings of the shadow of the Lord Almighty. And David knew his God was the promise-making, promise-keeping God of Israel. His confidence was based on those moments out with the sheep, talking to God, writing songs about God, playing his harp, guitar, whatever to God. And hear what he says right here. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. The only time he mentions anything that Goliath has is right here. So he can say, you got this, you got that. But I got this. Watch this. But I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. These armies don't realize Goliath. My goodness, it just hit me. These armies, Goliath, they don't realize that they're the God of Israel because nobody's told them in a long time. But they're about to find out in a way like they have never seen that there is a God in heaven who's got their back. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. Things are about to change, Goliath. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Before Chris Brown wrote the song that we sang this morning, David was walking out onto the battlefield saying, there's power in the mighty name of Yahweh. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giant. 
I know how this story ends. And if you take a walk through David's Psalms and his stories, you'll see where this confidence came from. Listen to some of David's Psalms. Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, you gate. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Psalm 62, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Psalm 68. May God arise. May His enemies be scattered. May His foes flee before Him. May you blow them away like smoke as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Let me give you one more. Do you remember where this battle took place? In the valley of Elah. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Yea, though I stand in front of the shadow of opposition of my Goliath, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my nine-foot-tall giant enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. David's perspective was based on how he knew his God. And when we know our God, we know that this book is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the book that tells you and me that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That if God is for you, who can be against you? That everyone born of God overcomes the world. That greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. David's perspective was based on how he saw his enemy, how he remembered his past, and how he knew his God. So how does the story end? As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, hmm, David ran which way, church? Toward, everybody say toward. Toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching in his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The only place that he could have got him because he was so covered up in bronze armor. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took out the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. And after he killed him, boom, then he pulls it out, cuts his head off. When the Philistines saw that their heroes was, hero was dead, they, you see this? They turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout. They just saw something, y'all, that they'd never seen before. 
everything was about to change for Israel. You're going to see that as you read this week. And they pursued the Philistines all the way home to Gath <laughs> and to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. This looks like the movie Gladiator in my head. Anybody following me? And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, then they plundered the camp. And David took the Philistines' head. <laughs> this is the coolest part, y'all. And he brought it home to the city of God, Jerusalem. And he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. When God gives us victories, we need to set up some trophy cases in our minds and in our spirits to remember what God has done. And when we face the next battle, just like when you went to high school and you'd go by that trophy case and those trophy cases would, would be there, two or three of them, depending upon which school you went to and how good they were. And you'd see trophy after trophy after trophy representing the victories of the past. That's what David did when he took those weapons home. It was a reminder of what God was going to do in his life. Your perspective determines your position. So let me ask you today, how does your perspective need to change? Are you going to continue to have a, a perspective of avoidance and fear and worry and doubt? Or will you choose today to see that you serve the same great and awesome and mighty and powerful God that David did? And that what God did for David, he'll do for you. Amen. Somebody say, I'm going to see a victory. Say it again. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. Say that. For the Amen. Your perspective determines your position. Some of you are going to walk in a different position this week. You're going to see with different eyes this week. You're going to hear with different ears this week. Amen. Let's stand together today as the worship team comes in and we bow our heads for prayer. Father, I thank you today that your word assures us that these amazing larger-than-life stories are not just history lessons from the past, but Lord, they serve as markers for how we can face the enemies and the giants that are before us today. And so my prayer today, Lord, is that through this message, God, you will change the perspective of your people, of those who need a perspective shift because of the situation they're facing. Lord, I pray that in this room, God, people will begin to see their enemy, God, the way you see their enemy as already defeated. I pray, Lord, that they would remember the faithfulness of our good and great God in the past and that would serve as the fuel for their faith in the present and I pray God that we would be a people who know you and we know your word so well like David did that when the giant comes out we can speak back to him based on the authority of the living word of God I pray that for your people today and I thank you God for the victory that you are giving to us in Jesus name with every head bowed and every eye closed if you are facing today a battle and you needed this message and you needed you need today for your perspective to change based on something you're facing will you raise your hand and just put it right back down go hands all over the room as I as I suspected today that would be 
Father, you see every hand and every situation and every person that's represented today. Holy Spirit, I ask you today to do what you do. And that is to take this word, the living, breathing word of God. And Lord, may it walk out of here. May it abide in our hearts. And Lord, may you give us victory over those giants and those situations that we're facing. God, may we cease to allow those things to continue to come out and speak to us and speak over us every day. But God, may we change our perspective totally and completely based on your word. And we thank you for what you're going to do in this place in Jesus' name. So based on the word that we've heard today, based on what God has spoken in this house, I want us to go to verse 2, guys, of Sea of Victory. And I want us to declare this over our lives. There's power. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war you wage is Say that again. Say that again. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages. One more time. One more time. Come on, declare it today, church. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, yes, there is. Every war he wages. Here we go. I'm not backing down. I'm not backing down from any child. Oh, I know how the story is. I know how yeah. the story is. Yes. Oh, I know how this story Declare it. is. Declare it. Come on. I'm going to see a victory. Yes. I'm going to see a victory for the say out loud I want you to be be willing to be bold and say it out loud and don't care who hears you okay I want you to say out loud whatever the situation is I'm going to see a victory in my health I'm going to see a victory in my lost children I'm going to see a victory in my finances. I'm going to see a victory in my mind. I'm going to see a victory over my addiction. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, out loud, I just want you to start to declare the Word of God over your life. One, two, three, go. Go. I'm going to see a victory over. Say it. Speak it. Speak it. Change your perspective. Change your perspective. Change your perspective. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah. You took. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for Take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it. 
hands up. Hands up. Come on, let's leave like this. Let's leave like this. I'm declaring it over my family, over my finances, over my health, over this house, over our city, over our community, over our nation. God for what you've done. Thank you for faith that's risen in this house today in our hearts. God, what we've declared and what we've spoken today has not been the words of any man, but it's been the Word of God. And we stand on and we declare your perfect Word to be true, and we look forward to seeing what you're going to do as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you back tonight at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock for our 2000s. Night of worship. Have a great afternoon.